Welcome to Not Quite Right. My name's Ed. And I'm Amanda. This is the sixth in a series of interviews that we recorded at the Words on the Waves Writers Festival. This time we spoke with Jane Hutchin. Jane is a journalist who's worked as a foreign correspondent all over the world. She is the creator and host of the television program One Plus One. And her book, Rebel Talk, The Art of Powerful Conversations, draws from her extensive experience in journalism and media to provide valuable insights on how we can improve our conversation skills and develop our powers of persuasion. In this interview, we spoke to Jane about Rebel Talk and the challenges of ageing. Yeah, so like no pressure talking to a literal conversation expert. Yeah, you could tell she was a pro. Yeah, I mean, all the compliments. I felt I felt warm and fuzzy. Yeah, talking to Jane was really fascinating, talking about age and agency. She's been a journalist for 35 years and she was talking about how now, you know, she's really focused since losing her mother on what life's going to look like now for her as she ages herself into the future. And as someone who is now approaching my 40th birthday, it's coming upon me with increasing speed. (laughs) I have to say the conversation was a little confronting, but I have to agree, life's short and I'm glad I spent a few minutes of it talking with Jane. And here's our interview with Jane Hutchin. We're at Words at the Waves with Jane Hutchin. So Jane, tell us about what brings you here. Well, I'm moderating a panel on reimagining ageing with two fabulous authors, Melissa Levy and Todd Alexander, and they've both written about ageing in in their books, one from a humorous perspective, one from a more clinical perspective, I guess. And I'm moderating because I uh, produced a series of articles this year about my own journey into ageing. And I call myself the juvenile geriatric and I have a (laughs) Substack newsletter. So I'm sort of taking different aspects of ageing and I use myself as an experiment. So that's my sort of spiel. And I guess I'm also an author. I've published three books. I've been a journalist. And my latest book is Rebel Talk, which is about the power of conversation. So delighted to be in conversation with you guys. Likewise. I mean, I hope we can learn a few things from you while we're chatting with you today. Well, I'll learn from you too. (laughs) (laughs) And so what is it about ageing that um, that interests you? Oh, look, I've... um, My mum died a year ago and I have an elderly father still and I just realised how difficult things get um, as you age. And I woke up in the middle of the night a few weeks after my mum died and I just really had this sense that my life was short and that I really shouldn't waste another minute. And I actually calculated Say if I lived to 85, I calculated how many more minutes I had left how to confronting. live. It super con- 13 million minutes. But Did I you think- immediately quit social media as soon as you realised? <laughs> I actually wanted to be more active, but mm-hmm. I wanted to be more active in a way that somehow was more productive, that mm. sort of gave something back to community and also made me think about the stuff that I'm dabbling in, the stuff I'm writing. And you know what the first thing I decided to do was? I I read all about the importance of staying fit because a lot of people confuse ageing with um, not being fit enough. And, you know, when people age and they lose um, bone mass and they don't eat enough protein, they tend to have falls and they get frail. Well, this is actually not to do with aging. It's to do with losing fitness. Mm. 
And so I just, I went on this. Um, I'm actually training to be a Pilates teacher now. Wow. And I just decided I had to really integrate exercise into my life for the rest of my life. And that was sort of my first step on the journey just to really make make exercise something that isn't a byproduct, is as important as eating to me. And, yeah, I, I keep sort of trying to experiment with new areas, looking at different elements and aspects of ageing. It's funny because I think as a society we focus on these quick fixes like Botox and things like that when we think about anti-ageing. <laughs> and I spoke to a friend of mine who's also, you know, she's in fitness as a career. She's a pole dancing instructor. And I said to her one day, oh, would you ever consider Botox? And she said, no, why? And I'm like, well, well, just, you know, obviously to sort of reverse or, or stop the effects of ageing. She's like, no, no, not interested. And I said, oh, well, how would you do that? She said, well, I'll just stay fit. I'm like, oh, yeah. <laughs> Good point. It's really interesting because, you know, we, we age. Ageing isn't just about, it's not just about staying fit and eating the right food. So we're born with a set of genes, obviously, mm. and those genes count for a lot. So my mom, even though I, I mourn her death and I still miss her every day, my mom was 99 and my dad is 95 this year. So it's not as if, you know, I think longevity is probably in my genes. Mm. So that, again, is a sort of wake-up call because it's like, okay, well, if I'm going to live into my 90s, I know my mum didn't do much exercise mm. towards the end of her life. My dad's always been really keen. You know, what am I going to do to make sure I stay upright and in as physically good a condition as I to, can? To enjoy those later years. Yeah. Just and, exist. You know, because when you lose your mobility, you lose everything. Mm. It's kind of the slippery slope. And some people can't help that, you know, some people, particularly people living with disability. So I actually want to learn Pilates so that I can help people with disabilities mm. as well. You know, you never advertise Pilates for people who may not be as able as a beautiful young 20-year-old with Botox, mm. but those are the people I want to, you know, I want to work with people who are less able. Well, I think that's often the case, isn't it, that people feel like they don't belong in those spaces and yeah. so they become more and more removed from those spaces and feel isolated from the fitness community because they are not fit. Yeah, you've hit the nail on the head there. Mm. That's that's the thing. And it's not it's not inviting. You walk into some of those places and, you know, you sort of think, oh, okay, maybe yeah. I do need <laughs> to hold my stomach up. in. <laughs> so ageing I think is something that um, is very un unspoken in our society. I'm, I'm going through it a little bit with my father-in-law who has recently been put into an aged care facility um, after some health declines. And that was a very sudden thing. It went from kind of one moment he was fine and then a few weeks later he was not so fine and where he is now he does not get much exercise and the decline has been very quick so that's that's difficult to see and then you see the the effects on the family obviously his wife and having now to deal with everything with him not around so it's a difficult time and it's one that really we don't have that much exposure to as a, as a culture. You're absolutely right. And the way, you know, even aged care facilities are in a way a kind of silo. Mm. So we put people, like I felt my mum was put in a silo to an extent. And once they're in there, it's like they have little engagement with people on the outside. And yet, all of us know someone mm. who is aging, who is already there, who's having difficulties. 
aging is kind of, I always like to say it's future us. Yes. You know, so how can you ignore something like that? Mm. Yeah, I think too, like, do you think perhaps there's this sense of purposelessness, you know, in older people? If you are in a care facility, and obviously when people are dealing with serious dementia, there's issues around that. But for people who are aging physically, but still, you know, mentally quite with it, they get put in these situations where they're not contributing anymore or not being asked to. And I wonder to what extent that propels that process, I guess, that you feel like you're not contributing and so. I I think it's a really salient point and it's one I wish that, you know, that every aged care facility had almost like a sister facility of a retirement village where people would have reciprocal events and be able to exchange reciprocal talents Mm. and stuff like that because the people on the inside the only ones that get to go out are usually people who are more mobile. A lot of the dementia patients can't go out. Mm. And so we need to bring a sense of purpose to them. Mm. But often it's kind of not thought about because they've got staffing issues or, you know, they're really pressed for time or there's always priorities. Only I think the real priority is what's on the inside of people sometimes, Mm. you know. Those sorts of people often don't wouldn't say to most of us, you know, I want to live another 10 years like this. Mm. They want to live now, mm. you know, and I think it's really incumbent on our societies to make sure that we help them to continue to feel that they have a purpose. So you seem to be, you're very focused on the individual and how can the individual, I guess, prepare themselves better for the future. Do you see anything systemic within the whole system of aged care that could be improved? Oh, look, there's too many things to mention. And, you know, we've just had a, um aged care royal commission that reported a few years ago. I almost feel that I don't want to focus on the aged care system, that I want to fo- focus on the rest of the ageing environment, if you like, because there's so much work to do just there alone. And for me, the biggest thing is to to tell people that, you know, there's so much agency. Mm. You don't have to, um, I heard a doctor describing stumbling into life, you know, stumbling through life. You don't actually have to do that if you don't want to. You can very consciously look at different parts of your life and work out What is it I need to change? It's like the book I wrote on conversation, Rebel Talk. It's about consciously saying, well, have my conversations worked for me? Perhaps they haven't. You know, I wonder why that person always shuns me or kids hate me or something like that. It's about actually looking at the way you have conversations and working out how to do it better. I'm a a big believer in little roadmaps and manuals, even if they don't describe themselves as such. Mm -hmm. So tell us a bit more about that book. Yeah, so Rebel Talk was my pandemic project. Um, After being a journalist for 35 years and I hosted an interview program called One Plus One, I sort of um, took all the bits of um, advice that had been given to me and that I'd learnt in terms of how to ask people interesting questions and get the best out of people and how to relax people when you've only met them for two minutes. And I would sit down with some pretty big names. You know, I interviewed Barry Humphreys, Guy Pearce. Um, I was thinking of Moby as well. It was probably a bit before your time. (laughs) I remember Moby. (laughs) Love Moby. (laughs) 
um, and, you know, I'd sit down and have these very long-ranging conversations with them and you sort of learn what works with people, what makes people actually want to talk more and what shuts them up very quickly. Mm. Mm. And the things that I, I've sort of made many mistakes in my career as well, one of one of the big mistakes I made was with an author actually, Lisa Genova, who wrote Still Alice about dementia. Gosh, mm. all our themes are coming together today, aren't they? <laughs> and I commented on her size because she looked really tiny mm. and in the photo I'd seen of her stupid TV person mistake she looked really huge yes. but that set off this panic in her that you know what was I actually saying she was underweight or too yeah. thin and it was like a disaster and it just rolled on from yeah. there because yeah. the Hard cameraman grab it back after that point <laughs> I couldn't <laughs> dig any every time I dug I got deeper and deeper <laughs> So, you know, I learned along the way too, yeah, don't ever, ever comment on anyone's appearance again except to say how great they look and how fantastic that dress is. And so, anyway, we live and learn. Mm. That's you, my motto. Do you have any advice for us? We're interviewing authors here at the festival. What's what's a good tip to get someone to open up? Um well, I usually ask people beforehand if I don't know anything about them. I ask them what they like to talk about. Mm. And uh, sometimes I ask them the opposite. I say, what don't you like to talk about? And then I'll ask them about what they don't like to talk about. <laughs> so I think the really important thing at, at events like this is to, the, the audience wants to be entertained. Mm. You know, they want to buy the books as mm. well. But they really just want to sit here for an hour and be transported. So our jobs as moderators and interviewers is to bring the best out of the people that we're sitting with. It's not what we do for our livings or as a sideline. It's something I think we do for humanity. It's about how can I bring the best of this person out for all these good people here? I think that's an excellent approach for a moderator. <laughs> well, thank you for speaking to us. We know you have to get up there soon. So great to speak to you both and thank you for giving me the time. Enjoy the rest of your festival. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Not Quite Right. If you'd like to reach us via email or follow us on social media, you can find all the links on our website, notquiterightpodcast.com. That's W-R-I-T-E. And if you enjoyed the show, we'd love it if you could leave us a five-star review on your favourite podcasting app. Something doesn't seem quite right.